Hey, let's, let's start. I'm going to play a video. You know, I know I've, I've been teaching in this material in Ephesians chapter 6 a lot, and I'm going to do it again because I'm, I'm just still having fun with it, right? And when it stops being fun, I'll stop teaching, teaching on it and move on, all right? But um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. But what I like to do sometimes, and this is kind of reflective in what Cliff and I do in the Bible study program a little bit, is listen to this version of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18. This little video it just takes a couple minutes. And let's, let me, if I can get it to work. I hope It's going to work, right? Just tell me it's going to work so I'll feel better. Okay, good. All right, here we go. I do have the power. Here we go. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Listen to that. I, I don't know. Something about that kid's voice just kind of captured me when I saw it. I just I saw it on, I think it was YouTube, and I copied it onto my, my drive. And that is just interesting language to me. I don't know why I am so drawn to this passage. I, I think maybe I want to be reminded of the battle that I truly am facing. Because if I, if I lose sight of that, that's when the battle has a tendency to get me, is what I've noticed. I want to be cognizant of the battle that I am facing, all right? So when, I, when, when that video played, was there anything that just, this is part of the observation of Bible study right here. This is the fun part to me, the easiest part of Bible study, is this observation. What did you see? Was there something that just right now is sitting in your mind, you're like, I don't know why that caught that. Is there anything that, caught, that you caught in that verse at all? Yes. We battle against the powers of darkness. Yeah, that's that verse 12, isn't it? It says, our enemy is what, not what? Flesh and blood. But, against, but our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I spoke a little bit on that last week. 
Okay. Now, I ask the question again. Is there something in there that just catches your attention? Any phrase at all? Yes. What we're really fighting. Mm. Something a lot bigger, isn't it? A lot bigger. We talked about that last last time I taught. Remember, we talked a little bit about kind of compared it to the story of Gideon. You know, about how implausible that war that battle was to fight for those three hundred men without God. Okay, but then um, uh, how implausible this battle is, right? I'm the same way. I there's something about this passage that just draws me to it. Yeah. She's just talking. I'm sorry. I've had a good time talking to her. Did y'all not hear that? Sorry. But that was uh, really good. It was good for me. Yeah. So the, uh, she was talking about how it's just such a powerful reminder for her about how she holds on to this passage a lot. And because it is a very, and, and, and I'll just use another word here, real battle. You know, we have so many times we want to read this Bible and think in, think in terms of stories. Okay. Or something like that. Or, or illustrations. No, 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 no. That's not what Paul's doing here. This is real battles that we're fighting. Somebody else had a hand up. Yes, right here. Be alert. Yes, I like that one too. Be alert. Always praying on. Well said. I mean, always. You catch that? That's the, that's the word in that little phrase right there. Be alert. Get that. I mean, I know I need to be always, right? Because that's when I'm not alert always. That's when that battle gets me. Uh, she's talking about the, the type, different types of battles that we all fight. Some of them are big old humongous grand bo- battles, and some are these little battles that just stack up on us. Is that a fair assessment of what you're saying? So with all that that we just said, and I know there's a lot of hands up that could come up and we could talk about this. Isn't it interesting when we raise and get talking and people kind of get past be, not being the first one, that guy, to start talking, we all start talking. What a perspective we have on this passage, isn't it? I, that's why I think I'm drawn to it so much is because I just, when I get in it and I read it, I'm, I'm just, I'm drawn to it and it strengthens me. It really does strengthen me. And I think that's why Paul wrote it. Um, it really helps me, puts things into perspective. So this morning, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how, you know, the, I've kind of worked through this a little bit about how in verse 11, we talks about how you put on the full armor of God. That's the panoply. And I said, that's, that proves that the, the armor of God's not a onesie. You remember that? Okay. And uh, it's not pajamas like a onesie. Um, last time I talked about the enemy and, 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 the, and where we're positioned and where we're seated, you know, and, and where Christ is seated in comparison to this enemy and where we're seated in comparison to Christ. That made me feel really good when I've studied that, right? So this week, what I think I want to do is I want to focus on this shield of faith for just a few minutes, okay? We'll probably get out of here pretty early. Um, I say that and it never works out, but we'll just keep going. So the shield of faith. And the way I want to talk about this first is I want to go to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel chapter three when we we're over there. And I want, to, I want to start there. So I want to talk about that story because when I think about the faith and, and powerful, powerful faith, that story comes to my mind and I am perplexed by it as much as I am perplexed by Ephesians chapter six. I mean, how in the world did these guys stand up to that? Right? So let's look at it. It's in Daniel chapter 3. I'll bring it up here on the screen so you can take a look at it. There it is. Love this BibleHub.com. It just works so well. Just a point of reference here, if you'll see on the screen, every time you do, if you'll pick this 
Strong's NASB. When you're on there, it's biblehub.com. And any word you touch will bring up the, the part of speech, the, the definition of the word in the original language, um, all that for you. This is such a great website. But Daniel chapter 3, and we're talking about the, the time when, when King Nebuchadnezzar made that, that golden image. And we all know this story, right? The Babylonian Empire, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he is a powerful, powerful dude. I did a little bit of research on him, and it was interesting to me. because This really points even more towards the comments that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make to him in, ref- in this specific event, all right? So they know what kind of guy he is. So kind of politically speaking, what he would do when he would overtake a, a country, he would bring some of the sharp dudes from that, from that country in and put them in places of some kind of leadership to kind of assimilate them into his kingdom. But he was a, a really strict disciplinarian. Now, and I read this, and, and I read I only found it in one spot, and that always kind of makes me nervous, and I'll usually go to Cliff to confirm, but I couldn't get with him on this one. But what I read about him was that he was such a disciplinarian that if you disobeyed him, sometimes he would chop your head off and then have your head carved into stone, big, huge stones, and placed around the city so that people would remember your face as somebody who dis, uh, disagreed with uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. He was very exact. He was very, very forceful in what, what he, how he delivered his discipline and, and how he ruled his country. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego absolutely knew that, right? They knew what they were facing. That's the thing. So it's not like, to me, when I look at this, it's not like they're kind of hoping when they make the comments that they make. They're not kind of hoping that, well, you know, we may get away with this. Nope. And so look at what they say in, uh, it's down here in the middle part. Should have had this up. Verse 13, we'll start there. I'll read it on the screen. Then Nebuchadnezzar, oh wait, he heard about the fact that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to his golden image. That's what sparks this whole event. So he says, then King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these three men were brought before the king. King Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the, the horn, the flute, the lyre, the, all these things, okay? Fall down and worship the image that I have made very well, okay? If you, if you go back to worship, everything goes back the way it's supposed to be. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands, all right? So you think there's any mystery of what's going to happen when they make this next comment to them? Is there any? I mean, that's the thing I always like to establish in my mind about this story. This is, number one, not a story that somebody just made up, okay? This is what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they knew exactly what was going to happen. And so they make the next comment. (laughs) This one just blows my mind every time I read it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, what? We do not need to give you an answer concerning this. That's a paramount to going, right? I mean, and kind of what it is, right? To the king, all right? all right? Just helping you out here, okay? All right, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
And so then we know what happens next, right? And I did a little research on this too. This is kind of interesting to me. Did a little research on this part about what happened at the next point. They were tied up, right? They're in their clothes and they were tied up. And I kind of, I don't know how exact this is, but what they said is that this furnace that he had heated up, you know, as hot as it possibly could be, was, um, it, was it, it might have even been the furnace that was used to make the base of the golden image he was wanting them to uh, uh, bow down to, which is kind of ironic that he's going to burn them in the thing they, they wouldn't worship. Not, that's not exactly sure, but, but, it, but it was, the, the way it was shaped is they could have thrown them in from the top, but for some reason they took him down to the bottom to where they had this door, okay, that where they put in the fuel. Because in my mind, until I studied a little bit about that history, I, I envisioned this big old door for some reason. I don't, did you? I mean, I envisioned these doors and they walk into this thing. I think it's kind of like a little fuel door, like, like where you put in more whatever it is, the combustible thing that they're putting in there to make this fire really, really hot. And so that's why, to me, I kind of visualize that they might even be laying down when I kind of thought about that. Because I'm not thinking this is a door that you're walking in. This is maybe a door. So they're, and they're casting them, they're going to cast them into the fire. Now, I think about that one spot. That, that's the part I go to in this story right there that I just can't get past. And it captures me so deeply when I think about their faith. At that moment, you're there and you know, you can feel the heat. I, there was so much heat in that movie last night and blowing up stuff. I, I, I'm mindful of that right now. But when you, you know how when you're by a campfire, let's say a roaring campfire, and you can feel that heat when you're too close, right? They're there. They're in front of this, this fiery, fiery furnace. Imagine that. And they're being tied up and being given the time to think about what is about to happen. Is somebody going to save them? Step aside from God for me. From King Nebuchadnezzar's group, is anybody going to save them and say, no, this is not right, let's don't burn them? No. They're right there in front of that. What does that faith look like? First question I got for you, is that faith possible? Hold on to that for just a minute, okay? But do you think maybe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worked on their faith? And this is kind of the point of this lesson, right? Do you think maybe they invested in their lives, in their relationship with God to develop a faith that became a shield for them? Is it possible? I mean, I, I just don't see how, I mean, and do we possess any kind of faith like that? And I start thinking about this, actually. It, it's the faith that we work on, I think, maybe. And, and this is just Chris's perspective here, okay? So do with this whatever you want to, but I started thinking about it. What, are there things in life that we have faith in? So last week, or week, not last week, but two or three weeks ago, I flew out to uh, Kentucky for a meeting, all right? Did I have faith in that plane that I got on? You think about that. You got a metal missile, basically, okay? Paramount to Wiley Coyote, in terms of my control over the situation, right? I'm lighting it, okay? Let's go, right? So I got a metal tube that they're going to run down this runway at however fast it's going to go, and then some dude's going to pull up on this lever, and suddenly I'm going to be 35,000 feet up in the air, okay? Do I have any faith? Yeah, I'm comfortable with my relationship and what planes can do, aren't I? Okay? I have faith, because if I didn't have any faith, would I get on that plane? Uh-uh. So we do have faith, right? We're just comfortable. We've put, our, we've put our effort into the faith of airplanes. 
You, every time you drive your car, you have faith, right? What do you have faith in? The brakes. That's a great point. <laughs> it's a good thing to have faith in, right? Right? How about, you know, who has anybody driven at night on Highway 74 between Memorial Road and 178th? On that, remember when it used to only be two lanes through there a long time ago? And you're doing this right here? What kind of faith do you have to do that? You have faith, number one, that the other person is paying attention, don't you? Okay? And that might be not the best faith to have in, right? But you kind of trust in that person to do the right thing. We have faith. When, uh, when I had a procedure done this week, and I was mindful. I started thinking about this then. When we have surgery, do we have faith in what that doctor can do? Because we're comfortable in the fact that, and, and we've, we've, we understand that relationship that the doctor's been to medical school, hopefully, right? It's not like some guy walking in the door. You know, I've been to medical school. I'll never forget, when, when I first started in the medical business, I, uh, uh, I sold for a company called Esculop. I sold surgical, handheld surgical instruments. The very first case that I observed where we brought in the instruments was an open-heart surgery case. Okay, so they, I sold the sternal saw in, in that particular case that they, you know, they opened the chest up with. And I remember seeing that chest being open, and they're packing that chest cavity with ice, okay? And they're running that. All of this man's life is in the hands of the, uh, the perfusionist who keeps that, you know, the, everything going and flowing, right? Did, did, did the guy that is on that table have faith in that surgeon? So we do have faith. But when we start thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay, we think, man, that faith, that, that might be beyond. That, that's intense. Standing there or lying there, however they were set up, and they're about to be thrown in that fire. Maybe they had put a lot of effort into their relationship in building what became their shield of faith. Is that possible? I started thinking about this, you know. What, if I don't put, I got a great example of this, Okay. If I don't work on this faith, okay, how can I expect it to, to, to be my shield? If I don't really put my effort in, and I'm not suggesting we're not. I'm just, this is my perspective on this passage this morning on the shield of faith. Because I started realizing about things that I didn't put my effort in that I used to in the past. For instance, I played soccer for 38 years competitively. Played in high school, played in college. I think I told you guys I played uh, at Abilene Christian, and, and that when I was there, uh, they, had a, uh, they had a club team. They didn't become a scholarship team until the year after I graduated, which I really appreciated. So, uh, <laughs> so I paid for my college, but I had fun playing soccer for them. So I played 38 years of soccer. I was pretty good. All right, I could play. You know? I knew what to do with the ball, and I could, you know, my job, I was really fast, so I could, they kicked the ball beyond the defense, and I'd outrun and go score. Scored a lot of goals. Uh, that way, played competitively and traveled on a little team, and we'd go do some tournaments and things like that, having fun, right? So I quit playing soccer when I was 46 years old. So at age 50, you know, from up to 36, I played sometimes in two or three years. I was heavily invested in my knowledge and my ability of playing soccer, right? And so then at age 46, I stopped. About that time, I also stopped being a surgery rep and started managing, and I sit in a chair a whole lot more, okay? A whole lot more. So at age 50, a couple years ago, I decided I was going to go back and start playing soccer again, right? Some of you know where this is going, right? <laughs> yeah. I go out there, and I get on this soccer field, and I'm ready to go, man. All right, now, I haven't done anything for four years. And you know what? Surprisingly, I looked really good on this soccer field. 
for four steps. <laughs> four steps. And that's it. And then I, my mind, I knew what my mind wanted to do. But man, it was like I had lead weights on my feet. I mean, these kids that I was playing, I'm 50 years old. I'm playing a league with 21-year-old kids, right? Thinking I'm going to get out there and do this thing. They were so fast, I couldn't even foul them, all right? It was like, you know, trying to catch up with water bugs on the water. They were just everywhere, and I couldn't keep up with them. The problem with that is is that I had kind of stopped my effort in there. And so, and that kind of correlates to me about faith, is that when, when, when how much do, how much effort do I put in my relationship with God every day? Kind of like what Cliff was talking about last week when he was talking about prayer. This is what sp- kind of spawned this, me thinking about this. Remember when he was talking about prayer at the end of last week? What was he saying? Do you remember? What, what do you do in your prayer? Kind of your question, actually. We all, sometimes we pray for others, but a lot of that he was talking about is about how we get to know God. And I think that might be just what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing, is that they knew God, right? That, that, is, that is interesting to me. How, how is that possible? How is it possible to, what actions do we need to go to build the kind of faith, to be able to stand up against the things that, that can come to any one of us? That's one thing that was said here a couple of times. Who knows what we're going to be facing tomorrow, Right. What actions can we go through? Well, I kind of flip over to Proverbs chapter 2 for just a second. Proverbs chapter 2. Solomon, I kind of think, and this is my answer to how the, the actions that maybe we can go through that help me understand. I love these words of Solomon. And, and what I want you to pay attention to and observe in this are the verbs, Okay. I'll, don't worry, I won't give you my theory again on vegetables and verbs. But the, uh, the, uh, this, watch how many verbs are in these first five verses. Because I think this is interesting. And to me, I think, I think about this when I'm talking about how do I, how, what actions can I do to help really get myself in a position to know God? And so the first one is, imagine Solomon speaking to um, the, the wisest dude who ever lived, and he's speaking to his sons, and he's just sitting down, he's got people in front of him, he's kind of, how, kind of like he's telling a story, he's relaying his best information he has. And he says this, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, what does it say next? What's the very next word? Then. Isn't that interesting? Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. How many verbs? Where's my ink pen? Here it is. How many verbs do you see in the very beginning of that? What's the first one? If you receive, I never can do I before E except after C. I had a friend that, that, that heard that, said, I knew that rule, said I before E except after C, and thought that meant C, D, E, F, G, H, all the best after. I thought that was funny. So anyway, that's free, okay. So receive, what's the next one? And treasure, that's a, that's a verb. If you treasure my commands, what's the next one? Make. Make your ear attentive, okay? And then what? Incline your heart to what? Understanding, right? For if you what? Gosh, I love that one. Okay, cry out for discernment and what? 
lift your voice for, uh, what is that one? Lift your voice for understanding. And if you what? Seek as for looking for silver. And if you search uh, for uh, hidden treasures. Now, if you, bef you, you discern the fear of the Lord and understand the knowledge of God before this or after this. Yeah. So these, I, I like these. That gives me something to work on. I mean, think about that. If you receive my words in this Bible that we have, we can do that, can't we? We can open this Bible every day and we can receive those words to help develop that faith to where we can get to a point where we can really know God. We can also, we can treasure the, yeah, tre that's a, that was an interesting phrase to me. Treasure. I mean, like I treasure this Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. You said it in the back too. You, you treasure this because it reminds you of the battle that, that you're in. Treasure these commands, okay? Uh, <clears throat> make your ear attentive to wisdom. How much time do we have left? Where's my, uh, what time is it? Somebody have a clock? 10.06. 10 06. All right, I'll be done here in just a minute. Okay, can I share my story about, and all right, I'm gonna ask, because I teach some of this material multiple times. Have I ever shared my story with you guys about my grandfather and his passing? Okay, when I think about turning your ear um, to uh, make your ear attentive to wisdom, I think about his passing. My grandfather was 93 years old when he passed away. And he was my buddy. He was like a grand buddy. Um, you know, I, I watched that movie, Event Horizon, or whatever that is. I can't, what a, Deepwater, thank you, I can't, that's another movie. But anyway, uh, see, I'm just like Cliff, aren't I? So there's like all these voices. So uh, anyway, and I, I uh, from age seven to age 13, he had me on the floor of his oil rig with him. My job was to put the water in the hole, okay? That, I can't imagine how many OSHA violations that is right about now, but uh, after watching that movie last night, but uh, I literally, and I have all my fingers and toes, and so, uh, but he taught me how to drive, right? Taught me how to fish. He was more than my granddad. He was my grand buddy. I mean, and I, he was passing away. He was 93 years old, and he, and, and he was in the last days of his life, and he laid in the bed, um, at night and I was in the hospital because I wanted to be there with him when he passed away and and I remember this is such a gift to me um, for two straight days he didn't move and his eyes were kind of open but they were glassed over and and his jaw you know that that rattle that that, that somebody gets when they're back and I was there with him the whole time I was by him and I was saying you know granddad it's okay you can go it's all right love you man you've been such a great grandfather to me right I want to be with you Nothing, not a movement. The only time his body moved over two days was when the nurses came in and physically moved him so he wouldn't get bed sores. And uh, that was hard on me, you know, but again, I was going to be there. So it was Saturday night. I will never forget this. Saturday night. And uh, uh, my grandfather, again, had not moved for two days, and it's about four in the morning. My dad was a, um, or had just retired from it, but was a worship minister in the Churches of Christ for 70 years. And he used to run the program in search of the Lord's way. He didn't run, he ran the music on it. He directed the music on it. So it's about four in the morning, and all of a sudden, I look over at my grandfather, and he's moving his head. And he's turning his head like this. He's turning his ear. I'm like, what in the world? I jump up at me. I mean, he hadn't moved at all, okay? And I jump up, granddad, you okay? I mean, you need to drink water? You know, can I help? I'm freaking out. You know, I didn't know what to do. And I said, he kept moving, kept moving like this. And I'm like, what's, does he need something, right? And finally, I caught it. I look around on the television, and there's my dad directing gospel music 
And I looked over and my grandfather was trying to turn his ear to that bed speaker on his head. Unmistakable he was doing that. It's, I'm not making this up. I'm telling you, he was turning his ear and trying to hear that. And every time I hear, I see that right there about turning your ear towards wisdom. I think about my grandfather and the gift he gave me. That's the last movements of my grandfather was turning his ear towards God. Isn't that a great gift? I mean, that was a tough time. But that gift is just embedded in my heart. And that helps me build my faith. You know, seeing my grandfather pass away and watching him turn his ear, that builds my faith too. But all these things that Solomon gave us are just so incredibly powerful. And, and they, they get us to the point to where we know God, where we know God and where we can stand and build that shield of faith that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. All right? I got to tell you, that's my goal, to know God. I don't know Yet, I'm learning, okay? I'm getting here because Cliff is such a good mentor to me. Uh, so I'm starting to learn a little bit about what some of these great theologians know, okay? But I'm not there yet. So do you know what my, this is my theology right at this minute where I stand today is to do everything I can possibly do in my life to get to know God because I just think that is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew when they faced that fiery furnace, they knew God and it was their shield, wasn't it? And I think that's really powerful when we look at this. You know, um, I'm running out of time here. The, uh, I wanted to get in and talk a lot about the shield. And, and, and uh, in, when, when you go back and you look at the, in the end of this, it's kind of interesting. Um, look look at, the, at the rest of this after verse five. It, you know, it's almost like Paul is kind of thinking about what Solomon is saying here, because look, look how it kind of flows. After all those words, verse five, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a, isn't that cool? I love how this stuff fits together. He is a shield to those who walk in, in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. I think that's how it kind of works. This, this shield that they're talking about is not the little small shield, okay? It's, it's, it's not that little one that you can hold, you know, like uh, Captain America carries, that little round circular one he's got, right? It's not that one. It's a shield that looks like this, if I can pull it up. This is what the shield, what uh, Paul is describing right here. Can you see it? It's kind of a door-shaped shield, um, big old thing. And it's designed, here's the thing. Remember I asked you this question. Is the kind of faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego possible? All right? Here's, Paul says yes. You know how I know that? Because in the verse that he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, he says, and taking up the shield, this door-shaped shield, with which you can extinguish what? All the flaming arrows of the evil one. Even, as he said, King Nebuchadnezzar's the men who came after him who had, you know, maybe the, the ear of, uh, of the devil kind of thing, right? All. That, when I read that phrase and I do my observation, that's the word that captures my attention. Taking up, and Cliff and I were talking a little bit about this. He said, it's not just taking it up, it's taking it up and leaving it up. This is a big old shield designed to be able, and it's soaked, right? Sometimes they soak these things. And interesting, and it's not designed. Notice what the language says here. It doesn't say that, that it's used to deflect arrows, which what I would think shields would be doing, right? What does it says it does? 
extinguishes. And, and, and I kind of made, I got, I'm learning to be careful about not taking the allegory too far in these passages, but I do think because it says extinguish as opposed to deflect or stop the arrows, it's talking about those flame arrows that can get inside us and burn out what we believe. That's what I think he's talking about here. The things that lead to doubt in our mind. The things that lead to, to you know, justification in our mind. The things that lead us and help burn away what we believe about God. I think that's what this shield of faith is designed to do. So, I could go into a lot more of that, but uh, I mean, you think about even Paul himself in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, something around there, he says, get rid, or 30, I think it is, uh, get rid of all bitterness and anger, right? How do you do that unless you have the shield? I don't know, I just, that's just kind of the way I'm thinking about that, all right? And the last thing I want to leave you with, I'm going to close out here. I'm just going to kind of skip some of the stuff and move to the end because I think it's interesting. It's interesting to me that when we, when we consider faith, when we walk through those difficult times, like what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when we go through one of those really difficult times of life, and we've really used the shield because there are times, right? There are times in our lives when we do that, right? There's times that I go get the little shield and think it's going to be enough. Anybody done that before, right? And conk, you get hit with a, a flaming arrow, right? But if you got that big, there's times, and when you walk through those times of difficult tragedy and you come out the other side, how does it feel? What does it do to your faith? Powerful, isn't it? Because you have, why is that? It's because you've worked on your relationship with God to a point that you knew you could walk through that particular difficulty. Can you imagine what it was like for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they walked out the other side of that, uh, of that uh, furnace? I mean, don't you know they strutted just a little bit, right? I mean, come on. Who wouldn't, right? I mean, if that had been Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Chris in the fiery furnace, right, and it's time to go out, they'd have had to turn to me and say, Chris, be cool. Act like you've been here before, all right? Because I'd have gone nuts. I'd be like, woo-hoo! You know, I'd be like, I would have been so excited about that, right? Walking out of that, like, go ahead. Say something else about my God. See what happens, right? And then I'd probably got in trouble. But, uh, but can you imagine how fulfilling that was? How well, how, what an impact that had on the rest of their lives? You walk through a fiery furnace. You come out the other side. And your faith is built, isn't it? It's another, it, it, it's kind of like it, you, you have the faith to go into it and you come out with even more faith. And that, to me, um, when, you, when you consider uh, Shadrach, Meshach, these, these men knew God, I think. And in, in face of the absolute unimaginable in my mind, okay, they stood firm, just like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Their shield was their faith. I said that backwards. Can I say that again, please? <laughs> their faith was their shield. See, I should have had my glasses on, my shield for my eyeballs, all right? Their faith with their shield. So here's my challenge for you this week, okay? What if next week we considered the actions of the day that build the faith for tomorrow? What actions can we have in this coming week that build the faith for tomorrow? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the way that you interact with your people. Lord, thank you so much that we can, in fact, know you. That if we will just put the effort into, into trying, that if we reach out to you, Father, you reach right back. And that is such a great privilege to us. Lord, it gives us things that we need in this life that we can't make them through without you. 
I pray, Father, for each person in this room today, that as we go out, Father, that you will instill in us a deeper desire to know you so that we too can build the greatest shield that we can have. Thank you for this great gift. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.